I feel it's really important to do what's called grieve the mother. So sort of mourn the mother, because a lot of times we keep looking at mom, hoping that she will be more evolved this time, or maybe this next visit or this next phone call or this next year, she'll be different. She'll wake up. She'll finally give me the warmth and the nurture that I'm looking for. Because a lot of times we give her so much power. We give her so much. We care so much about what she thinks. We care about her reactions and how she's feeling and her mood because she's mom. But what if we just brought her down and she's just a sister woman? with her own wounds and her own past. And she's human, just like you and I. And she was an imperfect person trying to raise a daughter with what she thought was the right way. Prophecies have foretold and wisdom keepers all know that the rise of the feminine will restore balance to our world. In this podcast, We are on a journey to understand the root of the imbalance that has caused disconnection and dysfunction within our humanity, so we can emerge as leaders, creating a new story on Earth. I'm Lauren Walsh. And I'm Shayna Connors. With humble hearts and open minds, we will converse with spiritual teachers, historians, psychologists, revolutionaries, leaders, and healers to navigate these evolving times and reintegrate the feminine history that we have forgotten. Welcome to the Time of the Feminine podcast. Welcome to the Time of the Feminine podcast. We have a very special episode for you today with our guest, Michelle Gomez. Michelle is a spiritual life coach with a specialty in healing the Latina mother wound. She has endured the painful process of healing the wounds left by traumatic experiences from her childhood. Wow, truly a beautiful wounds to wisdom. Michelle understands what it takes to heal experiences through her 11-year journey within herself and has learned how to alchemize pain. And she takes this, she takes this to her teachings. So her approach is centered on processing the pain of the Latina mother wound and recovering the strength of divine feminine warrior woman within and she uses the work of spirit guides, ancestors, and the elements in nature available to us. And she believes that by reclaiming our ancestors' wisdom and power to resist, we are able to reach deep into our consciousness and unlock the healing path for our inner child, our inner adolescent, and our grown woman selves, rebirthing ourselves the divine feminine woman that your destiny calls us to be. Wow. Your powerhouse. Thank you for that beautiful work that you do and what you give to the world. It is such an honor to have you here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So Michelle, thank you for being here. We are excited to dive in with you and and learn from you and learn about your experience. I'm a definite believer that our traumatic experiences, our pain, are sources of great wisdom. And listening to your bio I am super curious about your experience as a Latina woman and what brought you to the work that you do. Sure. So when I originally launched my company, Michelle Gomez Coaching, in 2018, it was on the heels of me writing my book. I wrote a book on imposter syndrome that actually hit the international bestseller list. Um, and then, and from there, I just started career coaching because I noticed that in my corporate life, I had a lot of people come to me and ask me for guidance because I had achieved a pretty strong career so early in life. Um, you know, I had a lot of people coming to me like, how do I do this? How can I make this? How can I do that? And so I just started mentoring people for free. And I didn't realize that career coaching was a business. I had no idea. So when I wrote my book and and it did so well and I started getting invited to, you know, to do interviews on podcasts, on television and magazines. I, that's when I was like, well, let me put some of this to, to use. Right. And so I was career coaching for a good while. And then I noticed a systemic pattern in some of the women that I was working with. I mean, it was more women than men. It was probably about 10% men, 90% women. And a lot of them were members of my community. And I noticed a consistency of inability to really feel 
like I deserve to be here. Like, am I, is this a place for me? I feel like I stick out. And so I thought it was imposter syndrome because that's what I thought it was for me. And I shared, I shared in my book how I got through that so that I could learn to feel like, no, I deserve a, you know, a seat at the table. And we, this is a conversation that many, many women have, right? What I wasn't expecting is that as I continue to do some research, a large propensity of women who do experience imposter syndrome in my community also had reported or hinted at struggles in their relationship with their mother. And it, it drew me in because I always knew that my relationship with my mother was complicated, but I couldn't put words to it. So I started to do work in the mother wound space for myself without telling anybody. In the BIPOC community, in the Latina community, mothers are very much revered as like all knowing. They're like the Virgin Mary. She, you know, there's no calling her out. There's no questioning her. So there wasn't a lot of space for me to go and share what I was feeling and experiencing with women in my community because most of our tias, like our aunts, our grandmas, our, you know, our, our the mothers in our family will say things like, you know, you shouldn't talk about like that with your mother. That, that's not, that's not, you know, nice. You know, don't be a bad daughter by, you know, and, and it's like, I wasn't trying to shame my mother. I was trying to speak through my pain. I was trying to understand why I had such a disconnect with my own identity and why I couldn't see my value and it has a lot to do with those formative years in the relationship with your mother and your father. And so over the years, I just been going to therapy and things like that while looking perfectly okay on the forefront, you know, business was good, career is good. I'm polished suits, you know, stilettos, hair slicked back. I was just out there on the forefront, it looked like everything was fine, but inside I still, it was hard to feel like, how can all these people see this value in me? And my own mother can't, my own mother doesn't see it. So it was very much having to do a lot of work with therapists and life coaches. I did a lot of shadow work. I did a lot of plant medicine to kind of do some healing. And over time, I finally said, you know what, I'm just going to share this openly with my community and see what happens. So I did one day, I just shared a blog post with everyone on my email list as a career coach and even on my social media and thinking I was like, okay, here we go. I'm going to get the brunt of the shame and like the guilt and like the, that's not nice that you say that. And in fact, that's not what happened. I had a lot of women respond like me. Oh my gosh that you're describing my relationship with my mom, like you're not alone, like where can we go and talk about this? So then that's when I realized how many women in my community who sought me out for career coaching were also looking for a place, a safe place to come and share their experiences and, and learn how to, they can move through this. So that's when I created Heal the Hijas. I started a Facebook group and it just started growing. And from then I just started slowly pivoting my messaging away from career coaching because I just couldn't continue to tell women, oh, here, just make sure your resume is in tip top seat. You're going to get that VP role. You're going to get this role and, and you get that six figure salary and your life is set because I had all that. I had all of that. And yet still I felt like, when is it, when am I going to be enough? When is this going to be enough? And so that's how I pivoted away from career coaching and started growing in my spiritual mentorship with my clients as well as my own my own spiritual learning as I go along. But that's kind of how Michelle Gomez Coaching has evolved and how Heal the Hijas, Hijas is Spanish for daughters, came about. Thank you so much for sharing that story, Michelle. I feel like in a lot of ways I resonate. I like also had a corporate job and started to feel like imposter syndrome. You know, I worked in high finance and this is the job so many people aspired to be in. And all the women in the space felt like they weren't embodying feminine essence. And I also wasn't. I had like learned only from men and had male mentors and the whole thing. And it's interesting because I've never thought about it before. But what changed everything for me was my now formed relationship with the Divine Mother. It changed everything for me. It was like this quest of this imposter syndrome and then finding the Divine Mother, this connection to like this greater cosmic force yeah. that began to heal me. Now I've been on this journey with global sisterhood and that all came from the divine mother. That all came since then. But I really am so curious to hear more about like the work you do 
Yeah, absolutely. It definitely is part of, part of my process or part of the path that I walk my my clients and my my students through is you know, really opening up to the softness of the feminine nature that is our birthright. And, you know, we were so, so many of us were raised in this survival mode mentality. And so we don't know how to be soft. We were just in our masculine all the time, right? And then when you add to that trauma that we experienced as little girls and not feeling safe in our bodies, not feeling safe in our environments, not feeling like there's somebody who's going to be a lioness or a wolf over us that's going to protect her cub among you know above anything and everyone is willing to risk her life and you know we sort of seek that dual nature in the mother is i want to i want my mother to be the soft place that i can land and when she looks at me she sees you know everything she loves like her eyes light up but i also want her to snarl and show her teeth when someone tries to mess with me i want both, you know, and I feel that in the embodiment of what we, what I teach is learning that, you know, your masculine is there to, you know, we can be the protector, we can be the provider at all, you know, but we don't have to stay in that space. What wolf or lioness do you see growling or showing her teeth all the time? You notice how her face and her demeanor changes when she's nursing her, her young or playing with her young, you know, resting with her young. It's different. And so being able to experience that through the divine mother energy that we share at our retreats, at our um, at our seminars, and, and even on a one-on-one coaching basis is being able to share with women the gift of softness within ourselves and finding safety or what I call like a returning to the womb, like being able to be in mother, receiving from the mother. Uh, receiving love, receiving protection, and knowing that she's available to us any anytime, anywhere. Does this feel like this awareness, this work with the Great Mother, does this feel like a, a returning to pre-colonialization remembrance and knowing and embodiment? And can you share a little bit about that? Yes. So many of us, we have not been taught a lot of our indigenous teachings, they have been lost over years because of colonialism. And so many of of the things that we are healing right now are ways that we were mothered. And so that means the systems of oppression that informed our mother's way of parenting us are cycles that we're breaking now. So in indigenous communities, years and years ago, matriarchs were the way of life. Really, the men and the women worked cohesively in balance. This is why Many indigenous communities do do teach and share the importance of balancing the masculine and the feminine and being in what's called in being in reciprocity with not only the masculine and feminine, but with one another and with the land, with all the plants and animals. These are all familiar. These are family members. Right. We've lost that. And because before it was, you know, the men really appreciated and honored and respected the intuitive nature of the woman. And how she knows so much more just because she's connected to her intuitive nature, her power through her blood cycle and how she sheds and rebirths every month. And with that rebirthing comes wisdom, comes a new way of thinking, a new way of looking at things and allowing people to can grow along with her. You know, just like she can grow and be a different person every month or, or shed a new layer and rebirth herself multiple times the ability to give everyone else to grow and and change and and evolve around her was a gift. And so men would reach for the women and and say, hey, you know, what what do we need? What does our community need? And the women knew it wasn't just about her or about, you know, the people in power. It was what does the community need? What does the land need? And the men would execute with that wisdom, right? And so it was a cohesive balance. But then you bring colonialism into the picture and a lot of our lands were taken over, conquered and stolen by Spanish colonialists. And so many of our mothers were informed in order to create a good girl. This is what you teach her, how to domesticate, how to cook, how to clean, how to serve a man, how to keep a man, how to you know, rear children and, and all of those things. And so um, a lot of the ways that we are breaking down, the things we're healing from now as much as we want to put the full blame on mom, really, this is how she was raised. This is generational. This is stuff that's been passed down and, and it's informed us. Just like now our generation 
is teaching something completely different, right? We're talking conscious parenting, gender fluidity, you know, uh, toppling the patriarchy and eliminating racism and global warming and all, all these things that now our culture, our generation is looking at our kids and we're trying to raise what we are being told or what we feel in this moment is a productive, conscious human being that's going to grow up and help invoke change or help create a world, the world we want to see, right? It's no different. They were told, this is how you raise a good girl. This is what you teach her. And if you see her exhibiting anything outside of this parallel, you must punish her. You must correct her. You must, you must guide her. Otherwise you're a terrible mother. And so this is what our mothers believed. And so, and then it added to their ego when we followed suit. So when we self-denied, and followed Sue, we, we went to that church, we lived this way, we married that man, we had 2.5 children, you know, we, we did that. Even as we were growing up as little girls, if we were quiet, just did as we were told, helpful around the house, took care of mom and dad, the parents get the accolade. Oh, look at your sweet little, she's such a good little girl. Look, just look at her. She's just a good little girl. So it was a sense of ego. It was a sense of community that, oh, I, I'm a good mother because we were controlled, because we were really indoctrinated into this way of life that she didn't know any better. And that's part of the healing we do now because much of what, what my clients are doing to evolve and grow as women and create their own identity and have more self-power and autonomy the mothers in that older generation just don't understand it. And it's difficult for them to accept and fully uh, celebrate the empowerment that they see their daughters exhibit today. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's really powerful for me. My mother is Latina. She's Bolivian and Chilean. And I, I feel so much of what you're saying, like in my body, in my body and like, this also, I am the one who has decided to like kind of go off and do something that's not like the normal good girl thing. You know, like even when I left my corporate job, like my grandparents like didn't even know how to figure out who I was or like how to relate to me at all. Like they just couldn't even yeah. fathom. And my mother also has that degree too, where she's like constantly like trying to process like how I'm being. And I'm curious, and then like myself and other women who are going through this process of, and I'm sure this is relatable in so many cultures, you know, of, of this kind of idea. How does one begin to like reparent oneself, mother oneself in a way that allows you to keep going on this path that we're being asked to, you know, in this time to really step forward and, and own something that is ancient? How do you step forward with all the programming and parenting and things that we've ha we've we've had in our past to move forward into a different time? I love this question. I, from my experience in myself and working with my clients, there's two very important things that we need to do in order to even begin the reparenting process. Number one is something I like to call um, reclaim your inner hija. So hija is. Uh, daughter in Spanish. So I do lead my clients through a very deep spiritual practice of reclaiming their inner child. See, because much of us, of what we experience, much of the pain that we still experience today is due to things like soul loss because of trauma. And so it's important that we understand that when these things happen, whether because we, we were afraid or we were abandoned or we felt alone, or we felt paternalized, like we couldn't be little girls. We had to take care of everything and everyone all the time. Or a physical abuse, sexual abuse. These things create like an imprint on your body. And not only imprint on you, where you kind of feel like this isn't my body anymore. I don't feel safe. But also a part of you is kept there. It's there. So it's like you're walking around this earth with missing parts, like a missing puzzle. You're missing certain pieces. So I feel it's really important to reclaim that inner child healing from mother wounds and re you know all of that is hard work right and revisiting trauma and talking through things is, is hard work but if you have this sweet little being that you're doing this for and with it's it almost adds a level of inspiration so i think that's most important let's reclaim her let's get her back and sort of bring her into this experience and i do this through meditation through like i said spiritual ritual things like that um journal prompts whatever we have to do to 
get her back with you. So she's in your body, she's in your consciousness. And so whenever you feel like, why am I doing this? Is it worth it? You remember it's for her. Like we're doing it with her and for her. That's number one. And number two, I feel it's really important to do what's called grieve the mother. So sort of mourn the mother, because a lot of times we keep looking at mom, hoping that she will be more evolved this time, or maybe this next visit or this next phone call or this next year, she'll be different. She'll wake up. She'll finally give me the warmth and the nurture that I'm looking for, or, or she'll finally open up the conversation or be willing to take accountability, all those things. And really, this isn't her healing path. This is yours. And she can't always participate you know, but that doesn't mean that you have to stay wounded. It doesn't mean that you can't move forward. It also doesn't mean you have to confront her. If confrontation doesn't feel safe because of the dynamic you have with her, or she's reactive, then it's important. You can still mourn the mother. So I, what I mean is mourn the ideology you had of her, that, that perfect mother figure that you had wished she'd be. It's time to mourn that because the sooner you do that, it's kind of like the five stages of grief. You come to a level of accepting this is who she is, really. And I like I like to call it taking her off the pedestal because a lot of times we give her so much power. We care so much about what she thinks. We care about her reactions and how she's feeling and her mood because she's mom. But what if we just brought her down and she's just a sister woman with her own wounds and her own past and she's human just like you and I, and she was an imperfect person trying to raise a daughter with what she thought was the right way, you know? And so being able to mourn this idea and move on as with just accepting this is who she is. She may never apologize. She may never acknowledge the pain. She may never validate me ever. She may never take accountability. And being able to move through those two things first, I feel, are the most important. Because otherwise, those two things without getting done first, you keep kind of regressing back to that, you know, but she never said she was sorry or, you know, well, this happened to me when I was a child and all that. Right. And so, yeah, that's going to come up over time. Right. But if you feel like you've energetically did the work in those two areas, then you can actually start the remother. You start taking on that remothering practice by doing for you without the concern of what she's going to say or needing her to validate it and without feeling like, well, I don't know how to reparent myself because I don't know what my little self needed. But if you have her with you, you can be further in tune with how to start the reparenting process for you. I love this conversation. It's a universal. I really relate to this conversation and I love how simply you just outlined that. And what has been up for me as we've been having this conversation is just this deep sense of compassion for our mothers and our grandmothers and our great-grandmothers and just thinking about exactly what you said, the consciousness of the time that was infused and imprinted upon them as trauma and in doing my own healing work with my mother and my father and just my ancestry, recognizing those imprints that are so ancient, you know, the, to, to survive you know, and they're so strange. They're definitely failure patterns now in my life. And to have compassion for them as that little girl, and then also compassion for my lineage as well seems to be really helpful for me just to really, like you said, I went through this practice of emancipating myself from my parents for a period, I spiritually in ritual did this for a period just so that I could understand what it felt like to have like God, father, mother energy. Like what is that energy like (laughs) and have that imprinted upon me? And then from there, my relationships with my parents totally began to shift. I stopped putting so much pressure on them and Mm -hmm. I began to be able to forgive them and develop relationships with them and You know, I had more difficulty with my father. My mother was like my angel, but she was the hardest one for me to forgive, you know? And, and I, and it's not because she did anything wrong. It was because I didn't understand. I didn't understand what she was working with. I didn't understand the culture of the time. I didn't understand the, the legacy of the trauma that I was receiving in my body. And it took me a long time to see her and, and forgive that. Wow. 
Thank you for sharing that. That's powerful. And I will say that is a step. That is a, a path that doesn't happen for everyone. I've worked with clients that, you know, they come to a place after much mentorship and ritual work, you know, where they're like, you know, this is my physical mother. This is my carnal mother, but my mother is this. And so I relate to her in a different way. And so it's healed our relationship where I'm able to, you know, cohabitate with her in a different way or engage with her in a different way. And then there's seasons. Sometimes it's seasons and sometimes it's a decision to go no contact. Or sometimes it's a a season of processing rage. There's still a lot of um, rage experienced by BIPOC community women, Latinas, especially the first gen. I'm a first gen. So my parents both migrated to this country. And, And the expectation is to uphold not just you know, to go out there and take advantage of every opportunity you have available to you because you're born here. So go to school, get the degree, get the job, buy the house, like build, get, obtain, grow, but take care of everybody else also. It, so it's not just about you now, but it's like, what about everybody else? And the expectation of build, build, build so that you can take care of mom and dad in, in their retirement because you're the retirement plan. And I got to tell you, honestly, that's upsetting for some of us. That's upsetting for some of us because as we grow, it's like, okay, who did for me <laughs> when I needed help with my high school homework? No one was there because they didn't understand it. I, when I needed help applying for college, no one knew how to do it. You know, when I needed help figuring out how to get my first job or, or apply for an apartment, there was no guidance, right? There was no one there from our families that could help us, right? So we had to reach out for stranger. We had to reach out for other people. And yet the expectation is, okay, yeah, that that we didn't help you with, go ahead and build and grow, but then come back and help us. That's hard to swallow. That's a hard pill and a hard expectation to want to fulfill, even if you could. You know, it's this like really coming to terms with the fact that this isn't fair. But for me specifically, one of the ways that I've had to work through that is through my ancestors. I connect with my great grandmother often in prayer and meditation. She comes to me in my dream state. And my my great grandmother, I've I've literally I've fallen at the feet of her in meditation and told her, like, I can't like this. She's driving me crazy. Like she's she's so difficult. Like, you really want me to take care of her in her old age? Like that is, are you, are you really asking me that? And her answer was, yes. I realized that's a hard pill to swallow. You're absolutely right. She is difficult, but she's my granddaughter. And I'm asking you to take care of her. Do you, like, it's, that's the only way I can reconcile it, you know, because if it wasn't for her, I don't know that I'd be, you know, I'd offer myself up as tribute, you know, to take care of her, you know, because she didn't take care of me. I was kicked out at 19, you know, and just, left on my own. Me and my younger brothers are in their 30s, you know, late 20s or in mid 30s, and they're allowed to come home and live there as long as they want rent free. Yet I was kicked out at 19. And I'm the only girl, you know, I was left out vulnerable, you know, and these stories are very real for a lot of us, you know, in the in the Latina community, being treated differently, because you're the, the daughter, you're the girl, not only is the expectation bigger and, and higher for you, but also the level of control over you because you, you're you a girl, you can get pregnant, you have a uterus, we have to control you. So it's, it's just so frustrating to be this ping pong and having to work through. And, and so I'm grateful to hear that you, Lauren, have gotten to that place where you're like, no, we're good and we're flowing and it's nice. And, and that's what we all want to get to. But I do want to, I do want to be very honest, that's not always the case for all of us. Thank you for sharing that. The thing that is... And I'm curious to hear your experience with this, Shana. I'm I'm curious about your story of of being the the female, the one with all the expectation, but the most control. That feels maybe foreign to me. It's typically been the males. I mean, the more control over the women, but in in the world I'm accustomed to, it's been more energy and attention and reliability on the the sons. So I'm really curious about that. I want to add on here too, in my on my mom's side of the family, it's all women. 
Latina, all women. And there's a lot of responsibility placed on the women. So I, yeah, I'm, and this is like lighting something inside of me. So I'm, I'm, please keep going. It's super interesting. Okay. So here's, there's the situation. There's a couple of things. Number one, Latina mothers and their relationships with their daughters versus their sons is just different levels of toxicity and fear. So here's what I mean. Because of colonialism, because of Marianismo, which is Spanish for patriarchy, and religious indoctrination, right? Divorce is a sin. And, you know, even many cultures, my family is both Ecuadorian and Mexican. Many Latin cultures do pacify male behavior as like, well, that's just how men, that's men. You know, so I I, like I noticed in my family, whenever the husband was cheating, the wife wanted to go after the woman instead of talk to him. Well, he's a man. Men are men are they need to be led. They're stupid. They don't know. Like, you know, they're easily swayed and seduced. They don't know. It's her. She should know what she's doing. You know, so there's this again, it's this viewpoint of the woman knows what she's doing. She's she's strong and smart. And if given too much power she can destroy worlds, destroy families. And so this fear of like, I want you to get Michelle, I want you as the oldest daughter to grow and educate yourself and do this, but you know, don't get too, don't get too self-confident. Don't get too empowering because, you know, ultimately you're a woman and, and there's a lot of damage you can do. Right. And also this fear of, well, she can get this, this fear they put in, in daughters. Like when we get our periods, it's like, well, now you can get pregnant. Great. Now one more thing to worry about, you know? So again, this, this, like, you're so strong and beautiful and capable, but you're also dangerous. So we got to make sure we control you so that you don't, you know, you don't hurt yourself or others, right? Or you don't do something you can't take back, right? So there's that. And then when, when males in relationships, the mother is married to a man who doesn't fulfill her emotionally, spiritually, you know, intellectually, she turns the attention to her son and tries to raise him with those characteristics, those qualities, and becomes so enmeshed and so deeply nurturing to the son because she's basically raising the man she wished she had. And this is why you've probably seen so many funny TikTok videos of Latina mothers and their, and their toxic relationships with their daughter-in-laws. Because it is sometimes incestuous in a way, like you're taking my man. I, I poured myself into this man. I've now raised this, you know, warm, sweet, kind, helpful man. And she's going to get all the benefit. Again, making women dangerous, making women the, un, the untrusted you know, because they're taking advantage of. And so this, this, I, this way of looking at male versus female, this is how... It creates such a toxic pattern in, 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 in homes where the woman doesn't, you know, she's been raised that she can't leave her abusive, you know, ambivalent, you know, neglectful husband because hey, you married him. That's who you stood at the altar and said you were going to be with. So suck it up, right? That's your, you made your bed, lie in it, you know? So really her only control is her children. And so that's where she pours into that. And that creates such a disconnect for the daughter because the mother knows he's going to grow. He's going to fall in love with someone and he's going to leave me. And she know there's this understanding amongst Latina mothers that like, yeah, when, when my son marries or my son finds somebody and he leaves, I know now that he is committed to her and her family, just like as the daughter, even if you're married, the expectation is you're still really enmeshed with your mother and your siblings and your husband's along for the ride. Now she's just kind of inherited a son. Meanwhile, with the brother, it's like, oh, once he marries and moves on, like we may, we hardly won't see him as much. That's why there's so much expectation on the oldest daughter because the mother knows or the mother assumes I can control her. I can keep her like she knows, even though she's married and has kids, doesn't mean she has a right to just drop me. Like she still has to be on my beck and call and she has to worry about me and take care of me. And that's that's actually, unfortunately, a part of the disconnect with me and my mother, because I am not that way. So many of us call ourselves a successful failure on paper. I'm educated. I run a successful career. 
you know, I speak at, I speak at places, I'm on podcasts, I've written books, you know, I hold webinars and retreats, but because I don't pay all her bills and because I don't call her every day and because I don't invite her to my family vacations, I'm a failure in her, I'm a bad daughter in her eyes. So you see, it's, it's, that's the pull and tug of the oldest daughter. Thanks. Thank you for sharing that. It's like blaringly speaking this truth. And I think to so many people listening, it will resonate so deeply. So I appreciate it very much. And I'm curious about this relationship to other women that you spoke about and how there can be often, you know, and this is something we talk about all the time because, you know, we run an organization, Global Sisterhood. How do we heal from comparison and competition? How do we heal from this paradigm of like blaming the woman versus looking at the man? you know, and I'm curious about your perspective on, on like, yeah, in the Latina culture, but in general also like how, how to bridge that competition, that comparison, that like wanting to blame the other woman. How do you work with that? We just had a retreat in LA this past Saturday. So just a couple of days ago. Um, And that sisterhood element is actually one of the ways that we create breakthrough and transformation at our events it's you know really we talk about it even at, in circle when we're together is the reason we don't trust one another or the reason we can't we compare ourselves to one another she's skinnier she's taller she's married she's doesn't have any kids she gets to do what she wants you know that kind of like all of that is programming from our childhood it is colonialistic programming and so that's why I tell, we talk about like, hey, this isn't your thoughts. These, you didn't just wake up and decide to think this way. This is programming. This is indoctrination. And just like you learned, I mean, you came out of the womb, you didn't know any of this. And over time, you picked up on social cues. You picked up on the way your mother re- talked about women, the way women in our family related to one another. Was it, was it, a, was it a community? Was it a village? Or was this, was it sometimes toxic? Was it in, insecure in nature? Whatever it was, you can get to see how that informed your relationship to other women, right? Especially when you've been raised in an environment that made you feel you're competing for everything. You're competing for a man. You're competing for a job. You know, you're competing for, you know, the cutest one in the friend group. Whatever it is, it's all, if, if you notice this insecure nature in your mother, then of course you're going to adopt it at one point. Right. But at the same time, while we're having ceremony at our retreats, the women get to see what it feels like for the very first time, possibly for some of us, safe in sisterhood, like to feel safe with a group of women who not only love and accept you for who you are, but love and accept themselves at the size that they are, at the with the amount of money they have in their pocket, with the level of pain that they carry, just full acceptance of this moment so that we can alchemize whatever needs to be alchemized in this time. But they hold each other through breath work. They hold each other through meditation, the experience of emotion that comes through each one of them. When one of them cries out, it gives the others opportunity and room to cry out as well. If the other one's rage, if one of them's raging through the breath work and the other one's like, I'm pissed too. It creates space for like, yeah, go ahead, rage. You're not alone. We're here. We, we got you. We can hold you through this. This is why we're here. And it's for the first time, a very transformation opportunity for them to be like, wow, this is, this is sister. This, if this is what it feels like to be in a tribe. Is this what, tribal life was like? Is this what it's like to go in the red tent together? Is this what it's like to be in a community of matriarch, you know, that where we're here for one another? And it shows me like, yeah, see, there's healing in sisterhood. We need each other, truly, especially in order to do the work that we want to do now as women to really topple the patriarchy and like, and really bring a more conscious way of life and caring caring about each other and caring about the earth then we need each other and the last thing we need is is to tear each other down and tear each other apart because it just furthers the agenda of the very systems that have oppressed us for so long i love your emphasis and i think this is probably the nucleus and of global sisterhood as well it's that what you shared i thought so beautifully it struck me when you said it i felt it go through my body that we are all here to share a burden of pain 
and we're not competing with one another and we're being honest about how much pain we have and we don't need to be afraid of that. That to me is so powerful, so unifying because that it, the whole like white supremacist need to be perfect, need to be all put together ideal is washed away when we can meet in that way, like, ah, in the raw, like I carry this pain. And so as you speak about sisterhood and how we need each other and to meet each other here, I want to talk about interracial sisterhood and the nuances of that and your perspectives on how interracially we can meet each other there. So in terms of other women of color, because I I have clients, I've worked with black women, I work with Asian women, I've worked with Indian women. And so I notice that when it comes to those of us who who do identify as a woman of color, the cultural implications of that lineage or of that culture tend to translate very similarly, really. And when it comes to like, yeah, this was the expectation, it's because of their God or their traditions or their expectations and ideologies of women and not being able to accept women as strong and capable and you know autonomous from the mother another or the lineage right there was a fear of well if she gets too much strength or she develops her own identity what about us you know a fear of being left behind or a fear of not being able to participate in whatever she's building and uh, in terms of european american women and our culture differences in terms of healing the mother wound or even embodying divine feminine um i find that with my non-BIPOC sisters, there is there is sometimes reaching for something that they don't know yet. So what I mean is, you know, a lot of us, we're reaching for our Mexican ancestry, we're reaching for our Incan ancestry, we're reaching for our Indian ancestry. And when there is a sort of veil of like, no, you're born here. So who are your ancestors here then? You, they aren't. Really, your ancestry comes from Ireland, from some form of European background, right? And so without an understanding of where that background is and being able to learn from that background, it's hard to use the mythology of colonialistic patriarchy, organized religion in that sense. It's really just confined to what America did with it and how it's been programmed here, right? Which a lot of us BIPOC people can't necessarily embody. Even when our parents immigrated here, many of our parents immigrated here 30, 40, 50 years ago, and it still sometimes doesn't feel like home, right? But for someone who's like, no, this is my home, this is my land, this is where I'm from, and there's limited ancestral background to pull from to support you into thinking differently, I see a disconnect there. And so sometimes the sis, well, the sisterhood could be well-meaning and we're trying, we can, we can understand each other's pain to an extent, but then I also feel honestly that there's a disconnect after a while, you know, there's a, because for us, it's so much more than just religion, you know, like I feel like, um, white women can have like, well, I just, I don't practice Christianity anymore, or I don't, you know, I don't associate with this right wing way of life anymore. I That's why I was raised. I believed in it for a long while. I don't anymore. But I still feel like for for people of color, there's that's just one facet. We could choose not to practice Catholicism and Christianity. We could choose to decide not to, you know, live according to the standards of the U.S. capitalistic way of life. But we can't choose to not be Latina. <laughs> we can't choose to not be Black. We can't choose to not be Asian, Indian, uh, whatnot. And so the pain of the blood line that perceives us, that has been born into us as we came in, are some it's just some of the things we can't erase. We can't just decide, I'm not this anymore. It's not as easy, I feel. So it does kind of have a, a little implication of... <sighs> Not, not, we don't just have the privilege to decide to not be black, brown anymore. And therefore, you don't have the privilege to not experience racism in this country. Right. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the projected expectations of other races as, as well as our own community. 
because even to this day, you know, I'll get the side eye because I'm not Catholic. Even to this day, I'll get, you know, judgment from, because my kids don't from family. From family. Mm-hmm. Or, or even just Latinos. Because I don't, you know, when I, when I, it's very interesting to see a certain generation of our, uh, you know, I would say like boo, boomers and like older generation, about, you know, after the boomers, excuse me, before the boomers, um, this lack of appreciation for us trying to reclaim our indigenous roots. Why would you want to go back? That is such an archaic way of living. Look at all the amenities and luxuries of Western culture. Why, why do you want to go back to that and being judged for wanting to live in reciprocity and, and feel like God is not confined to just a book and a, and a man that I was told he was. Like, he's the creator and it's bigger than that. And, and you know, not being able to accept a different way of life, mm-hmm. um, a different way of being. And so, but, but again, it's not one of those things where I, you know, I feel maybe somebody who's not BIPOC can have a little more liberty to do that. And depending on where you live, the expectation won't be so, so projected onto you, you know, meanwhile for us, there's a lot. And then, I mean, for Latinos specifically, you're, you, you're either too Westernized and you're not enough Latin or you're too Latino and you don't fit into the Western culture. It's so hard. It's so like, you know, my kids don't speak Spanish. And they're first, they're the first generation in my lineage that doesn't speak Spanish. I've tried my hardest. They don't want to learn it, you know, and that's an area, that's an area that I get shamed for in my community, you know? So Mm -hmm. it's, it's just, it's a heavy load to carry to unpack the mother wound through the, the lens of oppressive systems of oppression. When you look like us and you walk the earth in this skin and this color and in these communities. Wow. Thank you. Thank you for the question. I feel it's very important that we have this conversation so that not only we can clearly state where we are, but women, white women can know what, what we're dealing with. And it's it's so mm-hmm. much bigger than just, you know, deciding not to practice a certain religion anymore or deciding I'm going to heal this mother wound. I'm going to stop pretending I'm OK when I'm not, you know, and um and the path to that healing process and re-identifying as, I guess, evolved woman tends to be a little harder for us at times. The opportunity to free oneself seems more difficult, like more ties to the lineage and to the, the past. Is that more what you're saying? It, it does because um, we still live in the generation that works so hard to indoctrinate us into a certain way of being um, and living is now watching that slowly, slowly crumble. And it's hard for them to accept. And and they also come from a culture where, and a religion where shame and guilt was a weapon used to manipulate and control people into doing what you wanted them to do. So they haven't realized that we're in a different time you know, and, and that doesn't work. And, and sometimes it's not always shame and guilt. Sometimes it's just being treated differently, being ousted, being, um, you know, not, not necessarily included in family functions, or you're just the topic of conversation. Uh, every time the older generation sits down and has coffee and can you can believe what she's doing and look at how I look at her kids and oh my gosh, and, you know, it must be nice and all this stuff, you know, and it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good, you know, rather than be like, I I wish our culture was a little more open and accepting of like, well, this is how she's chosen to live. And, you know, that's cool. It's for her. It's her life. (laughs) They haven't gotten there yet. That's why I'm I'm grateful that I get to do the work that I do, because my goal, a lot of the women I work with have children of their own and they're seeing how, oh, maybe at the beginning I push some of this on my own kid and I'm glad I'm learning it now so that I can pivot away from this and be a little bit more open, you know, and moms, you know, should find the ability to love regardless. And that's when our mothers can't do that. Divine mother energy steps in. So that leads us perfectly to our last question. But I want to, I want to say, Michelle, like I see you like on this mountaintop, your staff planted into the ground, freedom ringing out. 
like there's just like this beautiful essence that you are bringing to the world through your own embodiment, through your own healing that feels so liberating. And so I just want to thank you for the work that you've done because I feel it in my own body, the freedom you're creating for others. And so thank you. Thank you. And our last question, our last question is, if you were to speak as the divine mother herself to our audience, what would she have you say? I'm always here. I never left. I'm always going to be here. You're never alone. And I'm strong enough to hold you and protect you and soft enough to nurture you. Come as you are. It's enough. Mm. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle Gomez. It is such an honor to have you on our podcast. And can you share with our audience about where they can learn more from you, where they can find you, any courses you have coming up or anything you want to share? Absolutely. Um, On my website is a lot of information. My website is uh, www.michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E, middle initial M for Martha, Gomez.com, G-O-M-E-Z.com. And on there, um, you can download my free ebook called The Latina Mother Wound. You can take my digital course. It's called the Healing Hija Accelerator. And it's if this is your first time launching into the healing path and you're not really sure what to do, I basically looked at my 11 years of experience and, and pinpointed what the most essential first few steps are and put that in this digital guide. So if you, you want to get into that, it's a course, a digital course um, guidebook that you can take at your own pace. And so you can have access to that. I do take one-to-one coaching sessions as well as take on a one-to-one clients for a three-month period. Um, so if you're interested in working with me one-on-one, there's options on there as well. And lastly, our retreats. We have a retreat called Return to Madre, Return to Mother, that we will be hosting quarterly. And like I said, we just have one in L.A., so um, be on the, if you join our, our email list by downloading my ebook or become a subscriber, you'll get information on how to, how to get access to register for one of those events. They are very intimate. We, don't, we, we keep them pretty small because of the sacred ceremony that we do. And we want to give every woman an opportunity to fully experience and be heard in these events. So we keep them about 15 people at a time. But yeah, we, we would, if anybody would like to join us at one of those, that would be wonderful. You can definitely stay on the, on the email list to get information on that. And you can always on social, I'm on Instagram at MG warrior woman. That's my TikTok as well at MG warrior woman. And uh, yeah, I'd be happy to connect with people. Thank you for being on the time of the feminine podcast. It was such a pleasure to have you on today and thank you to all of those listening. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And that's it for now. Ciao. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Time of the Feminine podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about the Global Sisterhood, you can follow us on Instagram at the Global Sisterhood, or you can tune in to one of our programs. Just go to globalsisterhood.org. It is such a privilege and such an honor to speak with all these amazing women and to continue to speak with you. If you would like to join one of our circles or programs and dive in deeper and have these conversations yourself with us, we would love to invite you in deeper, sister. So just go to globalsisterhood.org to learn more. Okay, talk to you next time.